Hello, everybody, and welcome to the very 87th, almost forgot, Shut Up and Sit Down podcast live from Shucks, the Shut Up and Sit Down convention in Vancouver on a weekend. Say hello, everybody. They're a raucous bunch. And oh boy, are we going to briefly talk about a variety of games to you today. My name is Quinton Smith, and today I am joined by some people. I'm Paul Dean, hello, still. I am Matt Lees, an extra special convention guest. <laughs> it's Pip Philippa War. Hello. <laughs> on this, the... <laughs> <laughs> on this, the award-winning board game podcast, we are going to be talking about some board games. We're going to be talking about the shadows and lies of Shadows Amsterdam. We're going to be talking about the deduction game of The Shipwreck Arcana, which I understand broke, Paul. Oh, yeah. We're Doesn't be, take much. We're going to be talking about Kung Fu Zoo, in which I flicked a zebra into a hole. We're going to be talking about Illusion, in which Matt said, oh, this is my game, and lost. <laughs> yep. and we're going to be talking about the edible game of High Tea Assassin... <laughs> so people over there who either like assassinations or food It's a, not a big Venn diagram They've had a lot of sugar Oh yeah, okay, a lot uh, of sugar And our last game will be a little game called Blood on the Clock Tower Ooh. And I will uh, tease this by saying we had not heard of this before we came to Shucks And I think it is, Matt and I played it and it is our game of the show uh, Yeah, I mean I've only played about three things but easily yes And I keep, <laughs> I keep singing it in my head to the tune of Smoke on the Water as well Which is making me quite happy and finally we are going to have a special feature which I know nothing about yep nobody knows but Matt Lee's (laughs) not telling us no way all the rest Uh, Paul Dean, you played a little game called Shadows Amsterdam. I did, which is right here in the con right now, which everybody can uh, try if they want to. Not now, though. Please (laughs) please please remain here. Um, I had no idea what this was about, and Shadows Amsterdam makes it sound like an urban adventure of, I don't know, assassination and crime and things. Drugs is the first thing that leaves to my mind. I'll be honest, it's furries. Really? uh, Anthropomorphic animals. Uh, It's like a cross between Mysterium and code names with, with, with furries, with animals. No, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Look, bear with me here. You have two teams of people, like you might have in code names, and each team commander has a map which corresponds to the map in front of you, which is a bunch of different locations in a city that I guess is Amsterdam. There's like parks and there's hospitals, and they're full of animals doing like a dog police officer and like a. T- Thank you. Like a dog police officer and, uh, and, I don't know, a cat on a swing in a park, because that's what you would do. The same way that in Codenames you have this secret layout that says, tell your team to go here, not to go here. We have this, but just for a map, just for locations. And the same way you would in Mysterium, you pass people visual clues that hopefully tell your team to go to the right spots. That's it. So we have the art assets on the map? Yeah, the maps. Then... Uh, you'll have things like, oh, there's a hospital, and that hospital might have a room in that looks uh, yeah, kind of blue, looks like a hospital room, there's a heart monitor, there's someone on a bed, and then your team captain passes you a picture that sort of corresponds to some of the same colours. So of course in Mysterium you're being given dreams by the ghost whereas in this you're being given... I've got no idea what the theme is of why you are walking around the city themed with animals it's going the fact to they've locations. chosen to make all of the characters animals but then set it in a real human city. I know! Yes. I... 
Like, yeah, thematically, I don't know what's happening there. Is it that, because I'm, I'm interested in this, but I'm wondering what the continuity of it is. Is there some sort of like, you know, because obviously we did a stream really recently of uh, the Whitechapel, yeah. uh, of being like, you're trying to track where someone's going. Is it like movement, or is it just randomly jumping around between locations? It's moving one or two spaces. The problem moving two ah. spaces is that you, uh, I think you give two clues, and that could be just more confusing. But the idea is, you know, based on your hidden map as your team leader, you need people to go here, here, and here to pick up these items, and then here to exit the map. And, oh, I should add, it's all in real time. Ooh, what? Oh, Oh, yes, no, I, I completely forgot the detail that both you and the other team are grabbing these clues from the shared area and then trying to direct people to go in I can't, I can't deal with these bombshells. Yeah. Does it involve real animals? Yes. <laughs> and they're here now. No, um... But, yeah, that gives it a weird sense of pace and franticness. And I, we played a few games, and they were over in, like, ten minutes. That's the other thing. It's very fast. So it's sort of Codenames or Mysterium with the clues, but there's another team just handing out clues. and then In they're... real time. And you can watch them doing better than you in front of you, which is the worst thing. Is, are there like, is it, like, Codenames that there are, like, places, like, minefields, sort of places you don't want to go? There are places that you don't want to go because, for some reason, I don't know, maybe there's an animal there. You'd... I have no idea what the plot or the theme or any of this is. Like, the, the, cons- the game as a game makes sense and is quite good. It's never needed a plot. Someone's just... Somebody somewhere decided, let's put some Disney, like, let's... If it was a Zootopia-themed game, I could do deal with that. That would make a lot of sense. That would make a lot of sense. But it's but... Amsterdam. <laughs> Famous for... For its... Amsterdam's is famous this, for animals. Is this a family-friendly podcast? Like, because I have questions about furries. Well, we all do, but I mean, what level of well, so intensity are these questions? When I found out what that actually meant last year, there um, were a lot of them outside yesterday. Okay, yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that. But like, so is just anything that is an anthropomorphic animal a furry? Like, how does Arthur the cartoon oh, the Aardvark, Aardvark fit into yeah. this? Like, what is he a furry? No. I, so, is, I, I don't <laughs> want to derail this podcast. I did once see a no. furry that was a whale, which is not an animal that I think is... But And then <laughs> whales are fundamentally not furry, but... I feel fundamentally unequipped to have this conversation. Okay. Shall we just move on to another game We'll really take quickly? that to the internet later. Yeah, uh, incognito browsing of... That was Shadows Amsterdam. I, I'm, a lot of people are suggesting you shouldn't take that to the internet. Oh. Just for the record. Lots of people going, yeah. no, I've done that. Let's just, just move on. Let's move on. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I'm curious to try this. That sounds pretty strong. Uh, Paul, you also played the Shipwreck Arcana. The Shipwreck Arcana. Yeah, this, I'm going to see, even describing this is going to break my brain. Here we go. So, uh... It's, ca- it's a card game about guessing numbers. You draw numbers out of a bag, tiles, or draw two of those. One of them you'll place down in front of the other people in front of you. The other one you need people to guess. Could be a number between, what, one and seven? One and seven. There we go. I've got a number one to seven in my hand. What could it be? Well, it's fine. We have a deck of cards we've laid out in front of us, each of which corresponds to some kind of logic clue. And the clue can be like, the number is not odd. Or if the number is higher than this, then lower than this. Or if the number is between these values, or if the number is equal to a value that you have already drawn. And the idea is you put a token down next to this. So you say, right, my other number corresponds to these clues, or it doesn't correspond to this clue. And people do this kind of process of deduction of going, I just put his number down there, which means it can't be bigger than that one, it can't be double that one. 
but it could be two away from this one. The problem being that all these clue cards are different, and as you use them, you start to burn through the deck each turn, and the clues go away, and the clues become different. Oh. And then my brain pours out of my ears. So you have to remember the clues that are now gone. No, you don't. The clues change, meaning that, yes, your framework for guessing changes. Okay. I guess the clues that existed before still remain true. They go away. They just go away. If you use them a lot, they fade, which yeah, means but, they wear out. But, so different clues appear. But is the information you got from the clues still true? It can be sometimes. <laughs> because the other thing is, when you discard the cards, you flip them over, and there is like a secret little bonus on the back. That is then a bonus that you could burn later, which is like the ability to ask a question, like, is this number four, five, or six? And someone can burn that card and ask you, and you go, no. And they go, oh. So, wait, is, there, is one player just like a quiz master who knows the answers and can sit back and watch? You rotate. Sorry, I should have explained this. It's cooperative. So, I mean, we played it with three people, and the idea is on your turn, you're the person who draws those two tiles, you pick one for people to guess, you reveal the other, and then the other players collaboratively talk about this and go, well, you know, if he's put this down, it can't be this, so it could be oh, this. Oh, so it's got a rotating team. It's got a rotating thing going around, and then obviously there's a bit of deduction of once you've played certain tokens and they're out the bag, you also know, like, well, it couldn't be that number because all of those numbers are currently out the bag. Okay. Is it... Can you guess? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, if you're like, oh, it's a number between one and seven, I'm just like, six. You can, <laughs> and there are no ramifications. <laughs> You just might lose. Oh, it is incredibly hard for me because it's not just a logic puzzle of doing that sort of deduction of this number isn't this, but it could be between these two. It's the fact that it's ever changing that you have like these four cards in front of you and you'll discard one, and then there's different criteria. And also, like I'm just not very good at logic, so it's an ever changing thing. It's uh, ever sort of growing deduction and all these variables change all the time I found it fascinating and I was bad at it but I would play it again I know there are people out here who would probably be amazing at it because some people are just great at that sort of thing yeah I feel like you know deduct- just raw deduction has been a big part of you know like gaming and we talked about puzzles in the live Q&A last night um, but it's actually rare that board games sort of hit us with just pure you will calculate this now. <laughs> it is a bit like that yeah because yeah. we played Cryptid which I'll probably talk about on the next podcast but that's another game if you're interested in Cryptid uh, with Art by Crunchy, that's lovely um, but yeah I, I was nuts when it was, I was nuts I, I was driven crazy when I found the rules and it's just like oh the players just have to calculate Constantly, and, yeah. and it's just so cruel. I mean, I just came in on the end of you guys playing that game, and you were like, Aah! "Yeah," you were kind of dying from melting down of just deducing on this mad board. Yeah, then, talk, yeah, yeah. interesting to hear you talk about that because I just saw the stress at the end of it. it. It's a similar thing of like the, you're looking for a, on cryptic, you're looking for a thing on a map. It can't be here. It can't be within two spaces of this. It is next to this. All of this deduction, but with numbers. Yeah, <laughs> the sexiest of components. I was going to say, I'm so tempted. It's like, can I just go and play this now? (laughs) You don't need me, you're fine. (laughs) Paul, would you say the numbers of uh, Shipwreck Arcana are more or less interesting than the map of Cryptid? For me, more. Why is that? Because uh, because the game was ever-shifting and ever-changing. Okay. And also, I just like the presentation. It looks kind of like vaguely tarot. Oh, yeah, no, the art is beautiful. If people Google the Shipwreck Arcana, they can see the art. But yes, I very much... Yeah, cryptid feels more like you're sort of circling an answer, mm. and you know the possibility space gets narrower and narrower, and then a player goes, oh, "I have solved it, huh?" And then they ask a player, "Is it here?" And the player goes, "Nope." And then that player goes, "This is the worst game." <laughs> <laughs> I 
I've ever true. played. <laughs> but yeah, I enjoyed Crypto, so it sounds like you should definitely check out the Shipwreck Arcana. Okay. Okay, uh, as we're moving on, uh, Matt and I are going to talk about a very uh, intelligent and uh, difficult game now called Kung Fu Zoo. Yes. It's not intelligent or no, difficult. No, no. We, play Kung, great, we, we play Kung Fu Zoo on the first night of the con when I was, we were all a little bit fried and um, uh, designer, game designer Jonathan Ying, creator of Bargain Quest and other things, said, hey, play this. And I was like, great, because it, it just looked like it mainly consisted of plastic and colors. <laughs> um, and the way the game works is you have these dice and they have four each, they are your animals, and then the box inside of it has a kind of like vacuum press shape which has a little pool where they can all, all the dice can go into with a bit like pool, um, holes in the corners of the box, which means if at any point one of your dice animals falls into a hole, they are out. Mm-hmm. And the game works by basically you take it in turns to put one of your dice on one of the four middle sides of the boxes. You can choose, you can take the box and slide it around and choose which angle you want to shoot from, put it in the middle of one of the sides and simply flick it in to try and knock someone else's animal into a hole. The thing I really, really liked about this, it's ingenious, is the fact that each of the dices to represent the animals, they have on the six sides of the die different parts. So you've got like on the bottom of it has their feet, on the front it has the animal's face, and on the back it has their tail, and it has a mechanic whereby if at any point your animal ends up on its back with the feet in the air, it's stunned. Mm -hmm. And then it means that once all of your dice are in the box, you then just pick up a dice that's already in the box, take it out, and get to flick it. But you cannot do that if they're stunned. They just have to remain there. Which starts to add the temptation of being like, maybe I can try and knock that in, and then I'll bounce off it, and maybe knock my guy onto his feet again. Enter stage left. Quintinius P. Quimbles is like... <laughs> the design, uh, Jonathan, when he taught us the game, was like, now, you could flick over one... You could hit one of your own dice to knock it back on its feet, but I've literally never seen that. And then I'm like, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> So I did one of my favorite thing in dexterity games, which is saying exactly what you intend to do before you do it, because um, it just makes everyone excited. And then I flicked my dice, and it went straight in a hole. Yeah. It didn't even go straight in the hole. It bounced around, missed the thing, and then just sort of span. And it pirouetted in circles while spinning <laughs> for about five seconds before eventually cleanly just going straight down a hole. It was think- one of the most absolutely spectacular failures I've ever seen yeah it's like you couldn't even if you wanted to do something like that not in a million years um, but this is good this game was really quite strong I like it a lot for the same reason that uh, Cube Quest is strong I don't know if that's even still uh, available but I'm hoping they do another print run if it's not because Cube Quest is a dexterity game about flicking cubes and trying to like capture territory and knock the opponent's king out but it has, it's powered by the same rule as this which is a rule of physics which is that dice are really hard to flick. Like, squares just do not travel where you want them to, <laughs> which means it is an intrinsically funny game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought it was fantastic. And I, I like the fact that everything just went consistently badly for everyone. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's a game theoretically about knocking other people's dice into holes, but actually, it's just endlessly people shooting their own dice into holes. <laughs> And that's nice. <laughs> also, all the animals have little powers, like my zebras could cause a dust-up, because play, you play like a pack of zebras or a pack of cheetahs or whatever, which are like four dice that are that color. And a zebra dust-up means that um, when anyone is about to take a shot, you go, wait, close your eyes. 
and then they have to close their eyes. The gorillas, I think, could pick up each other, so you can yeah. flip your dice off the top of a gorilla. Yeah, <laughs> it's just super. It's really nice. It's one of those games where, like, you know, for us, like Quinn's quite rightly was looking and going, "Oh, this is good," but it kind of needs something else. But for a family game with young kids, it's yeah. just perfect. The level is just right. When was the last time we found a dexterity game we didn't like? Um, I don't know. I don't tend to like because I think that so much of us. A serious answer for me is that, like, dexterity games, because they are so tactile, I think I often don't bother playing them unless they're kind of beautiful and have beautiful pieces. And I feel mm-hmm. that often, if you have beautiful objects and get to do things with them, that's already a good base. It's enough. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, shall we move boring on? Boring answer, but there you go. <laughs> Kung Fu Zoo. I don't know what the price point is, but if it's cheap, then hey, maybe that's a thing you can buy and drink a beer and shoot a dice into a hole. Uh, let's talk about a game that I think a few of us play. Let's talk about illusion. Welcome to a realm of lies and mystery. Matt did really badly in a realm of lies and mystery. Uh, this is a game from uh, the designer of... Oh, we should talk about the other game of his you played. But from the designer of The Game and The Mind. Uh, don't try and Google The Game because you'll have a bad time. <laughs> but do try and Google The Mind because uh, we did a written review of that one, I think. And uh, that's a lovely game. But he makes incredibly simple games. And Illusion is just that. It is a... Uh, oh, well, uh, did one of you guys want to describe Illusion? Pip, go for it. Ooh. Okay, so... Picture the scene. <laughs> Sorry. Just blew that mic out. Um, what you have is you have a coloured arrow that points, and then you start placing cards that have different proportions of colours on their face. And what you're doing is you're trying to position them in a run from most of whatever the colour the arrow is to least. And at any time you can... Well, not at any time. When it is your turn, otherwise it would be chaos. Uh, When it is your turn, you can take a card and place it, reorienting the others, but only by sliding. If someone else has made an error, then we all have to live with it. Um, So you can either contribute or you can say, I don't believe it to the person. It's quite specific, isn't it, in the (laughs) manual? It says you have to say... I don't believe it. (laughs) But to the person who has just placed something. And the thing is, because you aren't allowed to reorder what's been what's been placed, only insert your card into the the existing order, it might be that you didn't make an error, but someone you didn't call on did. And so you start flipping them over, you get the percentages, and then Matt Lees puts his head in his hands. Yeah, it's really tough because these cards, the art on them is often extremely abstract it's like someone's like you know uh, uh, taken quite a lot of psychedelic drugs and then opened up illustrator it's uh, <laughs> i was like, gonna say it was a clip art rave yeah yeah that's a better, that's that's way better my analogy was super lazy thank you um but yeah it's like here's a mess of circles all overlapping and it's like what percentage out of 100 is this red and you go oh and as it adds and adds it gets more and more difficult to determine where something would go and often we found like you know that we we get it wrong but there would be like a percentage in it like that one's 24 percent. that one's 25 percent. you got that wrong yeah Yeah. or um our mind would fill in the the overlap and and you'd see you'd see the 3d nature of the object or something and you'd sort of mentally not see the area was actually covered you'd you'd be like oh that's clearly 50% because I can imagine the extra percentage I can imagine the other half of the ring or the circle some fun (laughs) surprises in the deck like because if you know there's like 100 cards in it and uh, it's the the horror of like maybe it's a card with a load of red diamonds and then there's another card with one big red diamond and you're like which has more red but then the next card will be like a red handprint 
And I, yeah. I don't know, I'm, I'm, yeah. my brain is bad, but I was imagining that like if you tipped the card up and all the red poured into a little jar, yeah. and they poured the same little jar of red onto the card. But anyway, I did okay, actually. <laughs> yeah. So like, that sounds insane, but that, that worked for you. Like, I could not do it. But I really enjoyed the fact that you were, you could not at any point say, I don't believe this. It wasn't like you can just call it out. You mm. could only call it out when you were the next player, which means you might look oh. at something and go, there's no way that's right. But then you couldn't do anything. It was up to them. And as it went on, you got to a point where you're like, well, I'm... 100% sure that this has more red than this and less red than this but then you look further down the line yes, you're like how yeah. confident am I about everything that's been done so far what's the, the limit of players that you play this with I would guess it has no limit but I think the box says four yeah we played it with four I found that I was really good at it and I think that was entirely because I was quite tired at that point so I'd sort of zoned out a little with my eyes and so when you're sort of looking at them without focus you stop getting into some of the traps you start actually seeing the proportions yeah the vol- <laughs> it was really funny I took it to like the little volunteer lounge we have and I sat down with people and said I want to play something simple and uh, then we was, were playing it and then one of the volunteers said um uh, uh, you know, if you just let your eyes sort of like go out of focus, yeah, like so then a magic it was just eye, three of. men trying to make their eyes go out of focus, <laughs> looking at a table, like some horrible magic eye challenge. Yeah, and then, but it has that lovely reveal as well because if you have like eight cards in a line and you're like, I don't believe it, and then it's like you're hoping they're not flip. Thirty-two, thirty-one, twenty-nine, and you get that mounting horror of like, oh no, they're all yeah. correct. And we definitely had one round where there were like eight cards there, and you get to a point where you feel confident calling it just because you think one of these must be slightly wrong, and then they're not. It's perfect. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. But I should mention you played um, the prototype of the next game coming from the same gentleman, yes, right? Yes, I did on a stage in front of people. It was a bit raucous and one of the mics kept popping, so I don't know if that video will ever appear. But, yeah. The Wavelength. What's the game called? Wavelength. Wavelength. Wavelength mm. is a game which is made by uh, people who made The Mind and the people who made Monikers. And uh, it was pretty interesting. The way the game works is it's a team game of you trying to be psychic with your team. And you have a spinner. I say a little spinner. This one was gigantic. But I'm assuming <laughs> it's going to be smaller. You have a little spinner whereby, basically, you get to see two halves of a spectrum so like a, a good example of one of them was you know the best tasting thing in the world and the worst tasting thing <laughs> in the world. and then you look at the you look basically you get shown this little thing you lift up and you see a line somewhere and then what happens is you close that down and then you know on this spectrum from very very bad to very very good where the line is that you've got to match and you've got to then say something. And so then, something that is 43% between yes. the worst and best yes. in the world. Or like 20, you know, be like, it's there. It's not quite <laughs> bad, bad, but it's a slightly bad. And then, yeah, you've got to choose what to say. And obviously, you know, you can see some of the inspiration from monikers and the fact that I think that the, the idea is that as the rounds go on, there are more stipulations. So you're only allowed to say, like, you know, one word or whatever. Like oh, that. really? I don't know how finished the design is, to be honest. But yeah, as it went on, it was like, pick a word or you know not and you're not allowed to you're only allowed to use certain qualifiers and stuff like that to stop you from being like too in the same way with all psychic style games you can't be like slightly or whatever but it really was quite interesting i mean what was so nice is that you know you i remember the round i saw was like the worst and best person in the world yeah and you said uh george clooney no no no, no sorry no, no. mel gibson mel gibson very, yeah. two very different people but yeah. then it's the thing of you don't it's not like code names where you're like it's binary so i think it's this or it's not yeah. it's like they then have to decide on this like little dial it's like a, it's like a radio dial wavelength i think is a cool name for it because it is oh, it's nice. fun you get to turn this little thing to try and tune it to like 
the point. And it's nice in the fact that the band also is not like a single line. It's like you have got a kind of bullseye zone. You've got like, you get more points if you completely get it versus like you kind of got it. I think that sounds great. And then the fun thing is after your team have looked at it and decided where they think it is and had that debate, the other team then gets to decide if they think that you got it wrong or right basically because they like I think it's way more than that or way less than that or they can say I think you got it right and then depending on whether or not they're right about it they get points but it was really interesting in the fact that sometimes there were disagreements mm-hmm. like you know there were like we talked about like where I think one of them was fantasy and sci-fi Ooh, and, and I said Star no, I think someone said Star Wars and I thought and that ended Star up Star Wars is pure fantasy well, that's but what it's also, I said but it's not as much as Lord of the Rings no mm. so but you need some give on the spectrum that's what I said other people agreed it was more sci-fi and, and that's what it ended up being and again I can see already people shaking yeah. their heads and nodding it's, it ended up being uh, it derailed us because we just talked about that for about <laughs> five minutes which was really cool but that, I mean, that's fantastic I can see endless categories and endless ways like is the game even the point or the well, argument's the point this is the thing actually and I would say because I know it's, it's going to kickstarter soon I thought it was very cool but I thought the one thing which which was not perfect was the um, was the two axes you know the two things some of them were brilliant some of them didn't really work some of them kind of felt like there wasn't enough grey space in the middle and I feel like that is the where the game either flies or kind of stumbles yes but uh, they were the monikers uh, people sort of Alex Haig and friends were, have made incredible uh, cards for monikers mm-hmm. so certainly those cards are playtests oh yeah absolutely they? absolutely I just, I'm just saying on the basis of what we played and I'm not even saying this to be like I'm saying this and I hope that they might listen to it as well because I think they're like some of them I didn't really, really work good version of this game. some of them didn't really work but it was really funny and really interesting and what I loved was when it completely worked there was a point where Isaac Vega I think one of them was like clean to dirty and Isaac Vega said it's a hotel room it's just been cleaned but one of the maids that cleaned it had been out the night before got really drunk and when they came into work they were still kind of a little bit drunk which is like such a specific image and I was like I had to really argue uh, with Eric about it because Eric was like no 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 and I just I was sure where it was and when we lifted it it was just dead on <laughs> and it was like we both and that was a really wonderful moment of being was like was it a percentage because I want to know whether what I'm thinking is correct <laughs> it wasn't a percentage but okay. you tell but you me what it is and I can, I can probably convert it so I was going to go 83 it was probably around that mark yeah Ooh, it's going to go 81 <laughs> Yeah, wow, that's nuts. <laughs> and it's interesting actually that it is an analog thing, and it would be quite easy for them to put on like some little radio style lines, huh. so you could then like the way you would with a scale in your kitchen, literally then have a number <laughs> like which could be I don't know. Choosing a number is probably less fun than turning a dial. But this yeah. is a, this is a clean segue uh, because I was in the audience with Jen Sandercock, who did does the Edible Games Cookbook, and that worst person in the world came up and you said. Uh, yeah, yeah I felt like I was getting some flack for that because I said Mel Gibson and it was like it was definitely on the side of being a bad person but it wasn't that close to the well, worst no, person in the world Jen and I in the audience look, we're like, well obviously the meter needs to give so worst person in the world and we looked at each other and went Hitler you know just like to pull a thing out of the air but we yeah. said it at the same time they were like okay so if Hitler's there the question is how much better than Hitler is yes. he so it's like then, but you know what when the thing was revealed we were exactly right we, yeah. we were like your yeah. team should have gone higher yeah, yeah. Uh, okay but of course uh, so to recap um, uh, we talked briefly there about Illusion which is available for sale now and that was Wavelength which is coming to Kickstarter very soon uh, but of course let's talk about uh, Jen Sandercock because she was demoing one of her games here wasn't she she was uh, might still be I'm not sure oh yes I think she's done it I think day, it might yeah. depend on the amount of high tea left for high tea assassin <laughs> uh, yes that was the name of the game and uh, as I found out backstage about 
10 minutes ago. It's very similar to Win Lose Banana, mm. <laughs> which I helped win. A fine game. <laughs> a fine game. Matt, not so keen. <laughs> well, I lost Win Lose Banana, but it's fine. I've played many. Is anybody here not familiar with Win Lose Banana? I believe we've talked about it on the podcast. Now, would you like to explain Win Lose Banana? Well, uh, <laughs> So, actually, do you know what? I'm going to explain um, High Tea Assassin just because, like, then you can reverse engineer, but I don't then need to explain how it's different. (laughs) So, uh, the idea with High Tea Assassin is that you will sit down in front of these beautiful plates, a wonderful high tea arrangement, um, and you have mysterious... Well, we had mysterious pastries. I think there were sandwiches lurking at some point. Um, And they were covered in this cream stuff with some butterflies over the top and so they all had different fillings. One was a dark chocolate ganache, one was a white chocolate ganache and there was jam. Um, And so, yeah. (laughs) And so uh, what happened in mine was the the dark chocolate ganache represented represented you being the monarch in this situation. (laughs) Uh, So the winner in Win, Lose, Banana. Um, And so everyone would take like a bite out of their thing and work out what the taste was that they had um, I stuffed it entirely into my face because <laughs> I thought that was the safest way to avoid other people to, to having get, spoilers the, the strongest flavour I thought so so that was certainly a moment that I couldn't speak or breathe for a time anyway um, and so I actually ended up being the monarch and so I had these two other people one of whom definitely had a white chocolate ganache one of whom was a jam person yeah I'm a jam person I suppose Fair. I just keep thinking about this flavour identification thing and the fact that I remember when we played uh, Jen Sandercock's other game which involved being resistant spies with cream puffs I remember having a, a, a deep mental crisis when <laughs> I tasted it and thought what is that flavour and then someone else ate those and said mine's cinnamon and I was like I think mine was cinnamon but it can't be and then I was like what is this flavour oh god and then it was like yeah some of them are the same flavour I was like thank goodness uh. <laughs> I just found myself unable to know what I was eating in a way that, yeah. but yeah so I had these I had my two loyal subjects well loyal whatever uh, one of them being an assassin covered in jam um, and I needed to figure out which of them was going to betray me and I was going to then eat whatever it was that they offered me I'd hope that I was correct uh, obviously for me not really a loss I like jam but uh, <laughs> in the spirit of being in the game um, that was interesting because they were strangers and so it wasn't like if I was playing with, with uh, you and I could like look for tell or Quinn's being incredibly excessively honest about but things. It's chocolate. It's just it's, it's chocolate. Eat my chocolate. Classic tell of your oh. jam. Your, your, your lips look a little bit jammy and sticky. Yeah. You've been eating jam. I was kind of like trying to. And maybe I should have like seen if they could like breathe on me or something. I'd be like. Mm-hmm. But and I, milky. Yeah. I asked whether anyone had a, a jam allergy. <laughs> Jen was like, "No, no, we would have checked. That's fine." I was like, okay, sorry, I'm gonna stop. Stop with the murder theorizing. Um, and I managed to get it right. Boom! You uh, you were not assassinated by jammy poison. I was not. Although I was thinking maybe if they didn't want it, I could still have it. <laughs> it's like oh, you know, I've had a good run. <laughs> 
So it's basically win-lose banana, but everyone gets a cake first. Which everyone sounds... gets two cakes. Well, no, I had two cakes. I'm not sure about anyone else. I thought that was my priority. It sounds like the game of the year. <laughs> win-lose banana, but everyone gets a cake. One person might get two cakes. Yeah. I'm so a monarch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like cake. But it's two people earnestly telling you they're eating white chocolate ganache when one of them is lying. Yeah. I'm yeah. into it. But of course, we then taught you when lose banana backstage, uh, and which is a horrible, creepy sentence to say. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but did you feel that it was significantly improved by So the I think... I think one of the things that I was so aware of was playing it with people that I'd never met before. I had no sense of what their tells might be. So I think it's one of those things that is either dependent on how good you are as a poker player or as someone who wants to like whittle it down through conversation or has a a strategy they want to uh, try out and how much is... I have sat down with two friends and I will figure this out. Yeah, well, I figure, especially because, you know, Jen Sandercock's thing is a cookbook full of recipes of games you can bake and make. I think I think actually playing this game with strangers is probably a deeply unusual thing that would only happen at yes. conventions. Because yeah, if you just went up to people on the street and like, hey, want to play a game? Maybe. Eat this. Also, it might be poison. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. But I think, again, <laughs> I'm a like, monarch. <laughs> it's, yeah, none of I mean, this is good. literally a way to just turn dessert into a, a mini game. Yeah, it is. Pretty cool. yeah, when we really played the, the cream puff French resistance uh, simulation, I just found there was something so like pleasantly intimate about like eating desserts with people as a as a yeah. prop in a game. I think um, she does so many interesting things with um, the games. Don't break if you don't necessarily want the food either. Like so, oh, really? um, so I played the uh, was it the order of the Knights of the Oven Mitt yes. that was on their site and um, so I, I remember I got called out for being a monster because I don't like Maltesers uh. um, <laughs> but it meant that part of the, the way that we ended up playing was me guiding the other person to the things I didn't want to eat so there was a kind of negotiation there or it it changed the dynamic of what constituted success to my tummy (laughs) (laughs) I mean I love it I love everything that Jen's doing Uh, and that is available right outside Uh, and Mm. I think she has some uh, does she have an early version of her book for people to look at or is that oh I'm not sure actually I saw her setting up earlier and I think she does unless I've lost my marbles she does she does Yeah. and I think um, also if you were a Kickstarter backer she said to make yourself known to her because I think there are pins there are pins. Wow. And also, for those of you who haven't worked it out, Win, Lose, Banana is a game in which you get three pieces of paper. On one of them, you write win. On one of them, you write lose. On the third one, you write banana. Each of you takes one at random. The person who says win immediately announces themselves as being the winner. And then the other two people both commence to convince them that they are the banana. I am the banana. I'm the banana. I'm the, I'm banana. the banana. I'm the banana. You can't be... The, are you sure you're the banana? I'm the banana. I choose Matt. I was actually the loser, no. which meant that I won. <laughs> and that's the entire game. Except it's, once it's, you've played it 20 times and someone's going, this time I really am the banana. <laughs> it's something else. It's good. It's good. That's the game. I was so confused because all three of us, uh, Paul hadn't arrived at that point, all three of us had bananas on our person yes. and were eating them. And I was kind of like, is this 
do I need to save this? And so I was like holding my banana skin for the longest time because Grins was like, I'll teach you this game. I was like, okay. Yeah, you were walking around with a banana skin because you thought it was an essential component of playing the game. And it's like, no, you can, you can put that in the bin, Pip. It's all good. Which was really funny. My favourite thing about board game conventions, like, you, you know, you walk around, you're like, oh, these people are playing, you know, uh, Roots. These people are playing, oh, like, you know, uh, Through the Desert. And then, oh, these people are staring at a little wooden horse. Is that... Okay. Yeah. You know, it's, you just it, there's often just something bizarre. I will tell you my favourite convention story, uh, hands down. I saw this. Uh, somebody had tagged us on Instagram with this story, and I thought it was wonderful. As part of the mega game, which yesterday was a generational thing, whereby people took over, and we talked about this last night at the Q and A, where people turned up and they went, "My son, come, let me teach you the ways of our people." And they had a round where they had crossover where they could try and tell them some stuff. Then they disappeared, and their generation would carry on. One family invented their own, basically, cryptocurrency. Oh, you're talking... You're referring to Goscoin. Goscoin. I think I... No, my other genes... Do we have the have inventor a... of Goscoin here? <laughs> oh, no, this Amazing. is... Amazing. Oh, round of applause. <laughs> the inventor of Goscoin. I know a little bit about... That. Yeah, so what I love about this is this was not a mechanic invented by the people who did the mega game. This was just some players that designed something, which ended up being the coolest thing. Because <laughs> there was a rule in the game whereby each generation everyone lost all their resources. However, <laughs> Goscoin was a way of continuing some form of remuneration, and it meant that they could give these coins to other people, and correct me if I'm wrong, Goscoin Lord, but they could give them to other people in exchange for immediate resources. So it's like, you give us some of this stuff right now, and we'll give you a Goscoin, and these are good for return favors from our future generations. It's like, my grandchild will honor this Goss coin. <laughs> Which did them really well and ended up probably winning them the game, right? However, what's wonderful is <laughs> the information about the Goss coin was only really passed on through the family, the Goss family. Which meant when it got to the end of the game, people had inherited these coins but didn't really know what they were for. <laughs> So it ended up being this like loan that they never had to repay. Because it's like, oh, I found this legal document. I don't really know what it means. And it's like, okay, put it so, in. Uh, one of the mini games they played in that um, uh, Ezra Shattered Age mega game was um, one person from each family was a historian and wrote uh, long sort of like poems and, and uh, annals of everything that happened in the game. So I go in there and I'm looking through these books and I look through the book for House Goss. And the earliest entry from one of the merchants, the, the House Goss scribe, just said. Goscoin is basically a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> what a foundation. <laughs> but I just love that. I think, you know what, you know, people will design these games and they can come up with ideas and mechanics and ways that players might interact with them, but more often than not, you find that the real magic of mega games comes from players just kind of inventing their own yeah, systems. Just and, from and the people running it having to go, okay. And the, the amount that people do that improv thing of going, yes, okay, and they just buy in and it perpetuates it. But that made momentum. me really happy when I was sitting on my phone in bed. I was like, that's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, finally, we should uh, talk about, by far, uh, I think, the most interesting thing I managed to play at Sharks, mm. and uh, you two are going to enjoy hearing about this. We played Blood on the Clock Tower. Yeah, and Fire in the Sky. It's a, <laughs> I thought it was a, the Michael Jackson song. No. 
Blood oh, you got on the dance floor, you think? Tower. Bam, 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 bam. So this is from an Australian designer who sadly I didn't get the name of. It's also not necessarily available. They're going to be kickstarting it soon. Uh-huh. It's very similar to uh, Werewolf. Uh, well, that's the, the thing it shares the most DNA with. Pip is very excited. Uh, you all <laughs> sit in a circle and, oh my goodness, someone has been found skewered on the hour hand of a clock tower. Yeah, there's blood all over it. What but, a mess. So Matt and I sat down and immediately felt like we were in a den of sharks because we sat in a circle. Um, <laughs> me, Matt, and our guest Steve Wolfhard and the, the moderator said, so who's played this before? And everyone else put their hand up in this tight little sort of Alcoholics yeah. Anonymous style circle of chairs. And um, then we were like, oh, what have we got ourselves into? We're going to get sharked. As we, ha- we were handed a piece of pa- laminated paper with all the rolls on. And honestly, like, full disclosure, when we got handed this sheet of paper and we looked at it, we heard it was kind of a mega game game crossover. And as soon as I saw it, I kind of thought, oh, this looks like it might be a bit crap. Because it just looked like it was Werewolf again, but with some different rolls and stuff. And I was completely wrong. It was brilliant. It was amazing. I had, I had a phenomenal time. Um, so... But the, it's, it's very intimidating because it's like, okay, one person around the thing is going to be the, um, uh, the demon, uh, so the, and they are basically the archetypal werewolf. Some people are minions of the demon, and they have weird powers, like the poisoner, who we'll get to. And then every, but everyone has a role. Everyone has a power. And it's just an impossible amount of information. I was the undertaker, which meant if anyone died, I could find out their role. Yes. The, the he mo- found out their role by digging up their corpse the next day. Yes. So Quinn's <laughs> basically, his main role in the game, for most of the game, was to accuse other people of being demons see them lynched and then overnight think about it and go maybe I should double check <laughs> dig, up, <laughs> dig up their corpse that presumably he just buried and go oh no they, they, were, they weren't lying they, that was in fact the chef that was the cook that was the washerwoman the washerwoman the, yeah but the moment I think we realised there are a couple of um, twists which for me power the whole game so um, if you're aware that there's a moderator and werewolf who'll like tap people on the shoulder to wake up the werewolves and then ask who they kill so he does a lot of that because there are, or he or she, but there are tons of roles. So there's a lot of moderation to do. However, one important thing is you could be the drunk, and it, it, this honestly, there were so many exciting ideas. It reminded me of playing Two Rooms in a Boom for the first yeah, time. Yeah. If you are the drunk, you think you are one of the other existing roles. So, uh, for example, I'm the Undertaker, right? I dig up the corpses and sh- get shown the chips of whoever died. If you are the drunk, only the moderator knows yeah. your, your ability is misfiring the entire game. Yeah. So what happens is we wake up and I go, oh, guys, I'm, the, I'm actually, hello, I'm the Undertaker. That woman we killed really was the empath, unless I'm drunk. Yeah. <laughs> and the, one, the point at which me and Quinn's just went... Like opened up my mouths aghast and thought this is actually brilliant was when Quinn said listen if I am the drunk and not actually a real gravekeeper and I'm just getting it wrong all the time how is it determined what things I get shown and he said oh it's always whatever would be the worst thing at that point so the key this is the key thing with um, uh, the uh, what's it called Blood on the Clock Tower is that the moderator is not a machine they're not a parser the moderator is deliberately messing with people yes the moderator is able to play you like a puppeteer so one of the minions who supports the demon is the poisoner which means every night whenever it goes to sleep the poisoner can point at any one person and on that round their ability doesn't work in what way doesn't it work in whatever way the moderator wants yeah, which uh, means if it gives them bad information, it will give them the worst information. Which meant when he was, we worried for a long time because it kept being that like, oh, we'll kill this person, and then we dug him up in the morning, and he's like, I got some bad news. <laughs> but then throughout this whole time, we were like, but he could be a drunk 
gravekeeper. You could be like actually you're killing bad guys, but each time you think it was a good guy in the morning. We had all this unbelievable stuff. One of the roles is the slayer, which means at one point in the game they can point at any player in the circle and go, I'm taking out my crossbow and shooting you. If that player is, I love this so much, if they shoot the demon, the demon uh, dies, that's the game. One. However, what the, the moderator doesn't say, it fails or it doesn't fail. The moderator only ever says, you know, it works and the demon dies, or nothing happens. Now, what that means is I can go, oh, you know what, I'm going to reveal it. I'm the slayer. I think Matt's the imp. I'm going to shoot him with my crossbow, and the moderator goes, nothing happens. That player could be lying about being the slayer. Or they could have been poisoned that round. Or they could be a drunk slayer. <laughs> it's like, I'm the slayer, of course. I'm, and they, but there's no data. So when it doesn't, what did that happen in our game? The slayer yep. tried to kill someone. It didn't work. Yep. And then we're like, what? But that was wonderful. Because you're like, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. <laughs> At that point, it didn't mean anything. But it, what was wonderful about it as well, and I think it's there is some really smart design in the fact that unlike in Werewolf, where like lots of the uh, abilities are active in this, like a whole bunch of them are things that just happen at the very start of the game. Where it's like at the start of the game, you get to see, you get told these two people, one of them is this, or these two people, one of them is this. So it doesn't slow down too much. And there are some people who just have information at the start of the game, and then that's kind of it. But what's wonderful is that information is often all you have, and we spent a lot of the game trying to unfurl a chain of being like well you said that and then you said that and then you said that but then we killed that person and they were a chef <laughs> so you kind of try and unpick it and work out it's like which one of you guys could be drunk and there's, yeah. Yeah. there's yeah, loads yeah, yeah, of yeah. lovely we stuff. had a drunk investigator so yep. the entire basis of our investigation was based on the guy who actually wasn't an investigator <laughs> he was just drunk and it, it was, was like, it was so excellently fuzzy like so, so often in werewolf you have a fact or you have no information whereas this was you have so much information that any one piece could be wrong oh and the, the voting system is fabulous and yes. it fits the clock tower thing so when you nominate someone if this is in the style of werewolf you don't nominate anyone to be lynched if I'm hoping everyone's familiar with werewolf if you don't nominate anyone to be lynched that's fine you go back into another night phase and the demon can kill again but you didn't lynch anyone in this um, if I say let's nominate Paul we then go clockwise around the circle from Paul so it's like tick 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 anyone at that point when it gets to you can vote now it's not majority Paul will just get somewhere between zero and have the player you need number. to have at least 50% I no think, you percent. don't if one person votes kill because it's most so if I nominate oh. Paul and we go around the clock and he gets one vote we have to nominate someone else or Paul dies yep. who gets more votes oh yeah I remember now yeah. so it's just loads of fabulous and also the way stuff. it works and this was the point where we're going oh this is so clever is the fact that because you're in a circle the moderator stands in the middle and turns their arm like a clock oh, and that's the nice. vote only counts if when their arm passes you you have your hand up or down which means you can be like yeah I'll kill him and then at the last minute go oh, or at the last minute jump up oh. and it means that like it's not like that thing if you put your hand up and they go, oh no, I won't. It's like, you made your decision and then the whole time everyone's just sitting there going, ah, I guess that means we just kill the person. <laughs> and that's it. Like, there's no like, oh, let's change our minds. It's happening. There's so many, and so th many this funny is the, the, the thing we buried, a, a, an important a bit of info here. A Ghost. massive difference, yeah, from Werewolf is the fact that unlike in Werewolf where if you get killed, you're just out but you get to watch, in this, you're not out. You still have to play the game normally. You still have to close your eyes at night and you still carry on. Also, you can still talk. So you're dead, but you can still talk because you're a ghost. That's how ghosts work. But rather than getting to vote as many times as you want each round, now you can only vote once for the rest of the game. And it means that you as a ghost 
have and it's made this really made me laugh because it's kind of like similar to the the problem that a lot of countries have with politics at the moment of having like massively elderly slanted voters of being like well, hang on a minute people who are about to die are controlling the entire future of people for like generations and generations it doesn't seem fair this is worse because you have you can literally have a room full of ghosts who at one point can go yeah we want this person to get murdered and because they're not it's not like werewolf where you think the dead people know more they don't they know exactly the same as everyone else and in our game all the ghosts were completely happy to hand the game to me the demon but what was lovely was um, I didn't realise this because I'm used to werewolf and resistance but in our final turn of the game it was me as a good guy everyone else who was alive was evil so ordinarily in games of werewolf that's when you reveal and you go ah you're outnumbered but even though all the evil guys knew they outnumbered me and I was the only guy being like, oh, I don't know what to do. Um, you were petrified because the ghosts could still vote. Yeah. Which meant I'm just going like, what should we do? And you're like, oh, I don't know. Who could the evil guys be? Because at any point if I'm like, yeah, let's lynch him, all the ghosts suddenly come back and they're yeah. like, yes. Yeah, they, <laughs> so at the last minute, everyone can have their revenge. So I was, I was really sweating bullets. And there was that thing of like, right at the end, there was a point where <laughs> this is just a personal thing. I'd done pretty well like with my cohorts. I was not the demon at the start of the game. Someone else was. They were great, but then there came a point where I was playing as a character that if there are still five people playing when the demon dies, that person becomes a demon rather than losing the game. And we had to kill the demon in that turn, so I just completely threw him under a bus and was like, yeah, let's, let's, let's get this guy, because I knew that if we didn't, I couldn't become it and we couldn't win. But it, it meant that right at the end, I was just absolutely losing my mind because you suddenly said, you know, I'm tempted to just vote, vote for Matt, that we kill Matt, because I'll be really angry if he wins. <laughs> And then, despite me having lied beautifully for the whole thing and was going to get away with it, suddenly I was like, oh gosh, because everyone was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, no, don't do this just because Quinza's ego might be shattered. But as it was, your ego handled it perfectly. Oh no, I loved losing. It was great. It was, it was so much fun. The, game- the, point, where, so the point where we realised, sorry, this is one of those things where we get too excited sometimes, but the point at which we realised halfway through the game that because of the way it was moderated, Quinn's was so sure about everything but we realised it created a mechanic where you can have someone who is lying for the whole game but they're 100% sure that they're not because they're drunk yeah <laughs> which is dumb all of the powers are so funny and it's, the, it's that lovely thing that's in One Night Werewolf where you're mounting an argument mounting an argument then you start doubting yourself and you don't know what's real it's all it's so fuzzy it's and it, so it, raw it plays for like an hour that's the other thing is it's like werewolf is fast this is like it's intense and everyone is involved for the whole thing I think it's great it's it's absolutely superb so that's Blood on the Clock Tower you can absolutely bet that as soon as it's available um, Shut Up and Sit Down will be giving it the earliest possible review Uh, it's going to be coming to Kickstarter I think soon Mm. but yeah huge thanks as well to the Australian uh, design team who came over to Sharks to demo it yeah fabulous stuff I think uh, we're a little we've got basically about I saw a 15 minute warning there so we have maybe about uh, 12 minutes to wrap everything up okay well we have some things under the table very kindly we've been given this year an actual a real mailbag an actual mailbag I'll be completely honest these have just been handed to me I cannot remember who made these for us are they here right there sorry sir, what is your name please Jeff. Jeff thank you so much Jeff these are Jeff's bags check them out uh, we've actually got two of these I think this one is meant for walking around conventions so people can pop them, pop them in and then we got this one, which is just for podcasting, uh, rummaging around in my mailbag. Ooh, put your hand in my mailbag. <laughs> Find me a letter. <laughs> really good build quality mailbag as well. It is. I'm honestly, we got a lot of letters in here already. We're probably not going to pull many out, but we're definitely going to be using this 
on our podcast in the future so when we say in the future we're going to put our hands into the mailbag we will be it's a physical <laughs> real bag so thank you very much Jeff for that so unusually I'm going to be putting my own hand into my own mailbag which is not something we've ever done what before. could be in there so what we've got in here Quentin yes I know I'm dreading this my heart rate just went bad so Quentin um, about, <laughs> I think it must have been about a year and a half ago um, you came round to my house to record a podcast. Yeah. And you had brought round a letter that you'd received. And you said, oh, I've got this great letter. It's really good. I think you'll really like it. We can read it out on the podcast. And we didn't get round to it. And I said, it's fine. I'll keep it in my, you know, my cupboard office. I'll keep it there. And we can read it out on a future episode. And you were like, okay, cool. And then we forgot about it. And now I was tidying up my house about a month ago. And I found this letter. Oh, my God. And I'm going to read it. So, it says, To Quinns and the Shut Up and Sit Down crew, um, this is from some teaching, teachers and cooking amateurs in a freezing part of Bodo, I might be getting it wrong, in Norway. As promised, we've enclosed Matt's distinguished certificate for oh, services I delivered. Oh, this! As a treat, we have enclosed a Norwegian delicacy for a special Shut Up and Sit Down lunch. Norwegian children eat this brown cheese with joy. But foreigners often find it a bit repulsive. So, you are now British ambassadors for the brown cheese. Is that his name, the brown cheese? The brown cheese. What is brown cheese, we hear you say? Well, it is the goop that is left in the bucket when the regular cheese is removed. Then the goop is cooked for your pleasure into something resembling cheese. Interestingly, my second name, Lees, uh, literally means the leftover bits of clay after a potter has finished making a pot, which is depressing. But also quite similar similar to brown cheese. That's, they got it on point. What you need for this very special lunch is warm toast, real butter, salted... I respect these guys. Uh, and ice-cold chocolate milk. I haven't got any of that. When you sit down for lunch, you have finished half your task. The shut-up part will be accomplished when the cheese sticks to the top of your mouth and you have yourself a tongue-wiggling task of loosening it. No cheating with fingers, mind you. <laughs> have fun. And this is from <laughs> Bent Nikolaisen and the Sicky Cheese Mongers. And apparently I have a fake award, which I haven't looked at yet, which has pictures of me saying, is this a fake award? So somebody, I've got a, an award for... Head chef Matt Lee's for educating Norwegian children in the art of cooking, which wow. is lovely. However, oh. Quint, you did just like leave in my house without telling me in my cupboard some cheese. Oh. <laughs> which was, I was a bit like when I found this, I was like, I just had some cheese sat in my cupboard for like almost two years, and Quint's just never told me. I was like, I'll just put this here. And you were like, okay. And then. Yeah, so warning, special shut up and sit down lunch ingredient. I have in this chiffy bag some cheese that is sat in my house. What do you have to say for yourself, young man? <laughs> Letting your friend keep warm cheese in a cupboard without telling him. Because you were like, oh, don't look at it, it'll be a surprise. <laughs> wow, that made quite the noise. I mean, I don't know what's in there anymore. It was cheese at one point. Shall I open it? Whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) A lot of people in here, and if if this is like ground zero for some kind of new mould spore... I survived an assassination attempt today, though. (laughs) I'm feeling pretty bulletproof. If you open it and it looks okay, I'll eat it. (laughs) 
apologise to the front row in advance, just in case. If I start running, just run. (laughs) It's in plastic. So that's Oh, you need to open the plastic as well. That's the... That's why I can't smell it, at least. Do you want to see? Do we want to check if it has a date on it? No, no. (laughs) So, we don't need to worry about dates. (laughs) Are we talking best before or used by? What is this, an inquisition? I'm not answering these questions unless I'm being court-martialed. I don't like this. So the, uh, the inner uh, lid is, is moist. The cheese has a sheen to it. Oh, this sucks uh, as well because it's called brown cheese. and it, it's... I would eat this. It's, this oh, smells oh, good. Okay. It looks like packing tape. Now... <laughs> okay, we've got a sheen, but it's not a rainbow sheen. Because it's I the rainbow sheen you've got to watch for. Yeah. I don't like how it's being passed from person it to person. It smells nice. Like it's, it's sort of halfway between a fudge and a cheese. Someone says it's delicious. That's not good. Does it have anything on the back about refrigeration? No. I mean, it says best for. Give me the damn cheese. <laughs> See what I mean? It just smells of cheese. <laughs> There's a slight sweetness. Ordinarily. It's still flexible. It's still supple. <laughs> oh, it looks like luncheon meat. Oh, it is. There's something, for those at home, it is the colour of leather. It's like tan oh, leather. It's just coming apart. And it's very thin. It's like about a millimetre thin. Oh, it does smell like cheese. See? <laughs> it smells like cheese. It looks like cheese. That's like the Erie Indiana thing, but then they don't eat the bologna sandwich. perfect time to not be able to find the, the way to get through the curtains that lead off the stage to the bathrooms. That's... Any, of, any of the rest of us? I mean, no, no one else had to. Like, if you're going to leave something in my house that's edible for two years, I'm going to make you eat it. That's fair. That's fair. Paul, could that's you... Fair play. I'm, not, I'm surprised I just wanna, you did it. I... <laughs> okay. I, Pip, I'm not you sure. You want it back. It looks actually hideous. I mean, like, Quinn's did literally just run away yeah. with it in his mouth. I know I you want to try it, some comedy I don't acting. think you want to try it. It seems to have accumulated some, like, cheese jelly on this side. So I feel I've partially got, got you back for trying out hoist a, a, a chocolate onion on me at uh, Pax Unplugged last year. There was, uh, there was a thing in the bin in the room we have behind there, a little sticker on the bin, that says, Stop! Is this really garbage? <laughs> <laughs> Pip, Pip, what are you doing? <laughs> I quite like it. <laughs> so thank you to the Norwegian sticky cheesemongers for inadvertently murdering Philippa. I see what they mean about the roof of the mouth thing, though. I think psychologically, I was like, there was just something about the roof that was a bit off, and it's like, I was just, something in some deep part of my soul went, nip. <laughs> Do we have any actual questions in the mailbag, or just poison cheese? Uh, I think we can save questions for another time. I think, I think yeah. the ending on poison cheese feels like too fun a way to go. Huge thanks to everyone who put actual letters in the mailbag. Yeah, we're going to get to those, don't worry. We will definitely get through them. Uh, yeah, thank you all very, very much. And yeah, look forward to some more coverage of Blood of the Clock, Blood on the Clock Tower, very soon. Thank you all very much thank for coming. Thank you for coming. Everybody. Thank you.